This podcast is funded by Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. Hey everybody, this is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. I am your host, Josh Rapoon. This is the first episode of semester two of season two. We are stoked to be back on the air, bringing you another dozen episodes this winter spring of 2021. In the first semester of season two, we brought you a teacher of the year, a Teach for America superhero, a published author, a student climate change activist, and a capstone coordinator, among many other educators and education leaders. In the second semester of season two, we have an incredible lineup of guests, including a student entrepreneur, the founder of PBS Hawaii's Hikino program, a NASA space enthusiast, an award-winning history teacher, and a husband-wife team from the island of Kauai, among others. Today's episode is with Fred Delcy and Will Rapun. Full disclosure, Will is my nephew, founders of an app called Unruler, which allows educators and learners of all types to capture learning whenever and wherever it happens. Fred has worked in roles varying from software engineer to product management to corporate administration for Hewlett Packard, Yahoo, Tetris Online, and EK Hawaii. He has two master's degrees, one from Stanford and the other from the Anderson School of Business at UCLA. Will Rapoon is a graduate of Punahou School here in Honolulu and has a degree in computer science from Harvard University. He was an optimization engineer at Navitech, a technical director and instructor at New Horizons Prep in Shanghai, and a senior engineer at Exeger Analytics. Most recently, he was director of product development at Data House in Honolulu. Together, Fred and Will founded Unruler, which is the subject of today's podcast, along with the general topic of capturing learning. And now, here's my conversation with Fred Delcy and Will Rapoon. Fred and Will, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. So, Fred and Will, I love starting with a big question. So here comes a bit of a curveball. I'm sure you will knock out of the park. Um, so... David Epstein has written a book titled Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And here's what the noted thinker Daniel Pink said about Epstein's book, Range. Quote, for too long, we have believed in a single path to excellence. Start early, specialize soon, narrow your focus, aim for efficiency. But in this groundbreaking book, David Epstein shows that in most domains, the way to excel is altogether different. Sample widely, gain a breadth of experiences, take detours, and experiment relentlessly. So what are your thoughts about range versus specialization? And Fred, let's have you go first. Sure, wow, uh, okay. Um, I, I agree with, with his, with his um, thesis. I think that only a very few number of people get to really go deep and specialize and that's their path. I think there are people who do that and I think there's value in that. But I think for the vast majority of folks, their careers and their lives are really about um, managing the breadth of opportunities in front of them, um, you know, exploring new things, finding challenges in those, um, pivoting and doing new things. Um, and I think, I think that's just the, that's the typical kind of experience now that especially um, in the U.S. and the kinds of jobs that are here in the U.S. Um, that we really have to, we really have to manage. So Fred, was there ever a moment in your life where you kind of thought to yourself like, ooh, I'm specializing maybe too much and that I need to broaden things out for myself? Did you ever have a moment like that? Yeah, I started my career as a software engineer. 
uh, and I always enjoyed software, um, but I was pretty deep in there. I was uh, working in the machine-dependent uh, layer of um, operating system at Hewlett Packard in California, and I enjoyed it sort of for its um, sort of academic challenge or intellectual challenge. But I was the only engineer I knew that um, I actually enjoyed meetings. You know, like, so I was, most people like to do their do their engineering and, and get back to their computer. But I actually enjoyed meetings, and so there was something about that deep specialization that I knew that probably wasn't for me. And there's there's tons of people who do that, and that's that's great. Um, but for me, I really needed to to see things at a at a higher level, hmm. uh, and that's when I I shifted into. Um, uh, product management, which is which you know has a lot of technology aspect to it, but also connects to the um, the business and the customer. Mm, wow, super interesting. And Will, what about you? What do you think about this debate between generalization and specialization? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a continuum there. Um, for professionally, um, I definitely specialize in some ways, you know, I do a lot of technology, a lot of software engineering. Um, but within that field, I'm definitely also a generalist. Um, I know a little about a lot of things. Um, and that's really useful to me. For education, I think it's even I think it's a little different. Like one of the reasons why it's dangerous to specialize in education, or when you're when you're going through the education system is that things move so quickly nowadays. Um, you could pick up really specialized skills while you're going through whatever program you're going through. Sometimes they aren't particularly relevant when you get out. So learning, my favorite thing is learning how to learn. Um, that's always been the most useful thing I picked up through education, I think. Mm. Yeah, Will, you and I, you know, full disclosure, <laughs> as I've said in the introduction, you know, you're my nephew and you, you and I grew up in very similar circumstances, um, we had a really broad array of experiences growing up in Hawaii. And for me personally, it feels very much like, you know, those broad array of experiences really informed my life or maybe enriched my life. You know, how, how did it feel for you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, very fortunate to grow up here in a place where there is so much knowledge, not just in um, the actual location and, and, the, and, the, and the physical features, but in the people too. Um, we do come from the same family and it's a pretty, sometimes I don't, I don't realize that, you know, my family isn't the same as everybody else's family. Mm. Like we'll have our arguments at the dinner table may not be considered normal in other uh in mm. other places and other families but they were you know super important to me and 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 framing and how, how i frame my thinking and my learning and stuff like that so right yeah the, the, the culture and the place is, is everything to who i am today right so how did you two get to know each other in other words where on your life's journey did your paths cross and, and what was that conversation like? Yeah, I, I, um, I was working at a company called Data House here in Honolulu. Um, and uh, I was work, actually working on an education project there. And um, one day, Will sort of showed up. <laughs> and uh, we were you know, lucky enough, our leaders were um, smart enough to find uh, someone like Will who could contribute. And um, we we hit it off pretty well, you know. I I appreciate my sort of the people I get along with most tend to be very smart engineers, um, and so Will is is that as well as Will's just um, you know super interesting and and like you said very broad in his uh, capabilities. And so we hit it off pretty well, and um, we had worked I think together for um, over a year there, and um, we we really wanted to. Um, work together on on something and so mm. um you know we left the company and actually um brought another another um another guy on and that's when we started on ruler and so it's been it's been mm. over a couple of years now that we've been working on ruler mm. well what do you remember about that moment 
Um, actually, I remember the first time I met Fred. It was in a it was in a meeting that that I went to even before I started with Data House. It was like a, they were doing some sort of strategy meeting, and we were sitting around the table. And this guy chimes up, and he said something, and I was like, "Oh, that's really insightful." <laughs> and you know, three days later, I walked in, and I was I was working with him, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be fun." <laughs> um, so this is, uh, you know, it's interesting because Fred and I have been there pretty much every step of the way through our, um, through our introduction to the education world mm-hmm. um, as, as, as non-students. And so it's been, it's been really fun to be on this kind of learning uh, journey with each other. Mm, yeah, that sounds awesome. So, you know, we're, I want to ask you a, a number, both of you, a number of questions before we actually get into Unruler. Um, so what, what skills, habits, and dispositions did each of you bring to the table in the run-up to the launch of your partnership around Unruler? Um, and so just this is a, a meta question about your own awareness of your developing skills, habits, and dispositions, and knowledge bases as you transitioned out of high school and into college and then onto your professional careers. Like, to what extent were you aware of your own skill building throughout that process, you know, prior to that run-up? Will, Will, let's start with you. Sure. Um, So we want to go all the way back to coming out of college. I was just reflecting on this the other day. Like I felt, (laughs) I was reflecting that I felt a little bad. So I I started out of college. I worked for a company called Navitech, which is uh, um, a local company. They do um, naval architecture, uh, a lot of, um, you know, high speed boat designs, that kind of stuff. Research, a lot of research. and I was reflecting that I felt bad for them because they got me right out of college and I didn't know anything. And I didn't even know that I didn't know anything. And it took probably, took me a year to actually start really contributing, I think. You know, I I was so used to the fact that um, I had assignments, I had things I was told to do and how to do them and, and when they were due and then you know, that, 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 everything was laid out so nicely for me. And then when I got to the real world, it didn't work like that. Um, you were given kind of rough guidelines and you had to fill in the blanks. And I remember one day I was like, I'm asking way too many questions. I just got to figure this out. And uh, that was kind of that moment for me where I was like, this is different than it used to be. You know, it took me a long time to figure that out. Um, and I think that's kind of how professional life works in general is you kind of, you're just kind of muddling through and every once in a while you have a moment and you figure something out and then you keep going. And uh, Unruler was one of those moments where, you know, Fred and I talked and, and we thought about it and we were like, well, you know, we might as well try this now because I don't know if there's going to be a better time for us to give it a shot. You know, we have learned some things we know we we don't know we know we don't know a lot of things but we'll just give it a shot and see where we can go mm. so so fred you're looking down on your life coming out of high school into college and into your professional career like what what are you seeing as you look down on yourself in terms of your skills and your habits and dispositions as you moved f- forward yeah that's an awesome <clears throat> question and it's honestly something that i've been thinking about a ton over the past uh, five years or so um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, 47. And so kind of getting close to that midlife crisis, uh, timelines, <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about, um, and, and to be honest, like, I wish I could say that I've totally figured it out now, but I, I suspect I'll never, um, really kind of have it figured out. I'll just be watching the path, the pattern. And I think the, you know, similar to Will, the thing that strikes me as the biggest is I was really good at school. I was good at the game of school. You know, I really got great grades. I went to good schools. And then when I hit um, when I hit my first job, I was just overwhelmed with a sense of anxiety. Um, and honestly, that, that anxiety hasn't hasn't ever totally gone away. There's been ups and downs. But I think I think the heart of it um, comes from the fact that a lot of my identity was in succeeding at the game of school. 
Mm. And I was really good at it. And it was relatively easy for me. And so that was, you know, that's an easy life. Basically, my job is to go to school and get good grades and I'm doing it. and It's pretty easy. So that's that's comfortable. But, you know, the real world is not like that at all. You know, it's filled with ambiguity. It's filled with tension between people. It's filled with responsibility um, that's not super clear what you're exactly accountable for and figuring things out yourself. And so, um, you know, basically that skill, I think, is the thing that is, for, for at least for me in my life and career, is the most important one. Mm. Uh, and I feel like I, I am constantly continuing to try to build that up. And, you know, I wish that's part of my motivation for the work we're doing now, is I wish that I had had more of that kind of situation presented to me or forced onto me earlier in my life so I could have practiced that versus feeling so confident as a student which is really not a, a you know you can't get a job to being a student unfortunately yeah right some people try <laughs> right you know I have a quick story to share for the for the both of you like I came out of my high school experience I was pretty lame I was not successful at the game of school. Um, spent a lot more time outdoors, learning in the outdoors, growing up on Kaneohe Bay here on Oahu. But um, my first career was as a chef. Um, and I had actually dropped out of college and then became a chef. And um, what I discovered was that I was really good as the prep chef. I was the person who worked in the back um, who organized everything for the frontline chefs. And that realization didn't come clear to me until much later when I went back to get my undergrad at University of Iowa. Now, you know, a mid-30s or, or mid-30-year-old um, older student. And I was kind of shocked to realize, you know, looking down on myself from above at how organized I'd become. And I think it was because of that experience working as a chef. And then that's really carried through for me all, all the way through the rest of my life as a teacher and the work that I'm doing now. Um, it's a really cool realization when you when you come to understand something about yourself. And I, I wonder, Will, if you you had a moment where you came to that kind of realization. Hmm. <clears throat> I think maybe the closest I've come to that is um, I spent uh, one of my formative life experiences. I spent three years living in Shanghai. And um, I think if there's one thing I took away from that, it's, it, it, it's a, it's a really vibrant city, a lot of culture. Um, you know, it's got like 20, 40 million people. Nobody really knows for sure. Uh, and it's got a huge expat community. Not, not that many Americans, but a lot of, a lot of people from all over the world, maybe like 3 million expats. And mm -hmm. uh, one thing that I, uh, one of the things that I got out of there is that, you know, everybody's out there trying their thing. They're in, they're in China to do something kind of crazy to, to give something a shot. And, and it really helped normalize failure a little bit for me. Mm -hmm. Like, Hey, just go out, give it a shot. Maybe you'll fail. Maybe you won't, but you know, you don't know until you try it, it, It's, it's, it's something that I really tried to pull away with me when I left because it, it's, it really rings true. You know, that mm -hmm. this is life, you know, you don't have that much time. So might as well try some things and give mm. it a whirl. And so Fred, that was actually going to be my next question was about failure. I was, you know, what are, what are some examples of where failure was your best teacher, Fred, in your professional life? Like what, what was the failure and how did it help you grow and develop as a person? Yeah. I mean, um, we could, we could talk for easily an hour or two on that one. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. I think, I mean, the, the one that really stands out, um, was, uh, you know, over my career and especially in the past 10 years or so, um, you know, I have, I have a background in, in technology and I also have a background in general management through, through an MBA program I did. And, um, basically I found opportunities to take more and more sort of people and business leadership on the past 10 years to start to become the, you know, the vice president of a big group in a company and then the president of the company in fairly, you know, medium sized companies, uh, where I'm responsible for, you know, 150 people. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I 
had some significant failure in, in some of those roles, you know, certainly bigger than, than others in my life. And, um, you know, it really, it really hurt. Um, and I think, I think the thing that I realized the, that was most important, my most important takeaway from those experiences was that um, I can't, I can't be a good leader to others unless I am 100% passionate um, about what we're doing. Mm. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's kind of like the game of school thing, right? It's like, if the purpose is to get an A, and it's not to be passionate about, like, and, and fascinated by what you're learning, it's just, hey, I just got to get an A in this class, then, you know, you can push through and, and get an A. But if, if it's, you know, if you're responsible for 150 people's livelihood, it's not fair to, you know, make it the, you know, the motivation for pushing through when it gets super hard that, and that feeling of responsibility has to be more than, you know, I'm going to get an, an A for this company or something, right? It, mm. it has to be deeper than that. Mm. And so that's sort of my, the learning from my biggest failures, whatever I'm doing, particularly if I'm going to be leading people is I've got to be fundamentally passionate about our mission and what we're doing. Mm, wow, super interesting. Um, I, there was a moment in my life when I was teaching when I realized that I was not a manager of people. Um, I made I, that was one of my greatest failures. Was it where I was put into a position of managing people, and it was awful, and I failed in a most spectacular way, and vowed to myself that I would never occupy that position again, because I didn't have the skills and habits and dispositions to do that. So that's that's super interesting, Fred. And Will, what what about you? Did you have a particular failure at some point that you know, as you had this growing realization about the value of learning from failure that really helped you move along? Um, I don't know if there's a particular moment. It was more of a realization that like life is a series of constant failures. You know, mm. like you, I feel like failing is the way forward. You know? and, and, I, and I think once I realized that, I just started identifying it more, more and more often. You know, this company was um, spun out of a failure of, of Fred and myself to make it work at our previous company. Know, we couldn't make it work there so we just mm. we failed there and we started off on our own um it, it's it's been i think i think seeing that or realizing that for me really opened up the ability to learn more when it happens mm. um and that that's kind of been my goal as i continue on this path right right Awesome. Um, hey, everybody, let's take a minute to reintroduce today's guests. Fred Delcy and Will Rapoon are the founders of Unruler, an app and a process for capturing learning whenever and wherever it happens. So, <clears throat> guys, I have a burning question I need to ask the both of you. Um, I want to get this out of the way before we move on to Unruler. Everybody seems hot uh, to make coding classes available in our public and private schools. Some people are even advocating that it be required of all students. And on the other hand, I'm hearing repeatedly from professionals in the field that there are very few coding jobs available and most of these jobs would taken over by machine intelligence or have already been taken over by machine intelligence. So what are your, what are your thoughts about this? Are we headed down a wrong path when we're advocating for every kid having a coding experience? Will, let's start with you. <laughs> sure. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I think there's, I think there's value. Well, there's a lot of things to unpack here. I, I think there's value in asking or exposing um, learners to coding. Maybe it's something they'll be interested in. Maybe it's something they won't be interested in. But I definitely don't think it should be required of everybody. It's, it's not for everybody. Um, it's, uh, it's, I've seen a lot of people be interested in it recently and, and try it and, and, you know, it, it doesn't meet their expectations or it's not their, another for their personality. Um, so exposing, sure, but I, I don't think it, a required course for school seems a little bit much for me. Um, but, but if there's, there's a, there's a lot of jobs out there. You know, I, I, that's, that's, that's the strength of it. I think there's a lot of jobs. Um, and I find it to be really interesting work. So Will, besides, you know, besides the job prospect, what 
is somebody being exposed to a kid when they take a coding class? Like, let's go a little deeper about what what happens to them or what value that coding class brings to them, whether or not they seek a career in coding or not. Sure, sure. Um, I can tell you a little bit about what, what my journey was like. Um, my brother is a software engineer, my older brother, Alika. And uh, when I was a freshman in high school, we were talking in, or sorry, freshman in college, we were talking, or me and said before, before that, before I left, he asked if I was taking any um, computer science classes. And I said, oh, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. And he said, look, I think you should take one. You, you might like it. And so, you know, I took one and I did like it. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a lot of, to me, it's a little bit like a giant puzzle. Like my brain really likes puzzles and I like, I like the, the structured creativity involved in programming. You get to build stuff. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty open-ended in how you build things and what you're building. But what I really, what I really got out of coding and this didn't take place until five years out of college was I realized the paths it opened up for me in, in that ability to create something in the world. Hmm. Like I can write code, I can have, build a product and I can actually deliver it. I can help solve problems through the code I'm writing. And that, that's what really got me in the end. Hmm. Wow, interesting. And, and Fred, what, what are your thoughts about this debate? Yeah, it's a neat question. I, I totally agree that I think just, just in terms of pure brain exercise, I think coding is a great exercise. Um, I, think, I think that there, you know, as... Um, you know, software is is such a fundamental part of what goes on in our lives these days. And as Will mentioned, like software is cool because a lot of times you can, you know, you can build something and it's real and others can use it. And it's you don't need necessarily like massive distribution capability. You don't need, you know, a huge amount of resources to make bring something real into the world. And that's only true in these past, you know, since the sort of dawn of the Internet and, you know, Google that lets you know, people find, you know, basically what Google does is really interesting that we don't talk enough about is it, it, it brings together markets that would have otherwise not been able to come together. Hmm. So for example, if, you know, back in the old days, if you're, were a published, if you wanted to write a book, unless you were interesting enough to be published by a big publisher and get on a, the, um, you know, the shelf at, um, Barnes and Noble, like your stuff would never get seen. But now, you can write a book and you can put it online. And, and if there's a market that's even if it's small, they can find you. And I think software is similar, except it's an interactive thing, right? And it's, it's an application that brings value to people's lives. So I think there, there are, I think there are a ton of coding jobs and I think there's all kinds of different coding, but basically that ability to put together an application and make it public is so valuable and so real for so many people that I think, I think it is a good, a good skill to just to know like that's and even if you're not actually doing the software development yourself you're probably working in a business that relies on software so it's good to sort of understand what's behind it mm. so i'm i'm a pretty i'm a pretty big proponent of hey you know we sh this should be a uh, you know we should at least be there should be an option to to you know learn about that and get involved in it at a pretty young age for everyone mm. yeah interesting so all right, let's get into Unruler here, the app that you founded together. So um, here's my first question. Lately, <laughs> lately I've been kind of cranky, especially at my day job, because of folks who invent problems to solve. I keep getting into trouble by asking very sarcastically, what problem was that idea supposed to fix? <laughs> and... Um, so with Unruler, what was the real problem you found that really needed to be solved? And how did you discover the problem? Fred, why don't we start with you? You know, it's funny. It's funny you're asking that question because actually just right in the past few months, um, Will and I have been asking ourselves that question, honestly. Um, you know, I think that's a very common, um, pattern in, in trying to develop a new product. You know, you sort of start out trying to solve one problem and then you realize like actually that 
that wasn't maybe quite as much of a problem as I thought. And actually, the real problem we're solving is this, right? And, and it's a, you know, entrepreneurs tend to fall in love with their products and they start to sometimes lose sight of the actual problems they're solving, kind of mm-hmm. what you hinted at. So, you know, um, w- what we're seeing today as we, we're sort of going back a little bit to fundamentals and really looking at the product as it exists and then sort of how the educators that have been interested in engaging with Unruler, how they're really, how they're really using it. Um, and so what we're finding is that um, they're, they're using it in lots of different ways um, and all of them are, are valuable. Um, so, it, you know, I, I'll let Will, Will, I know I've been thinking about this a lot too. So um, maybe Will can, and can sort of enumerate some of the ways or, or, or follow up with it. Um, but yeah, yeah we, we started in a slightly different place than, than we are now. Mm, okay. Will, what, what's the fundamental problem that you set out to solve? Um, well, the original, the original problem was actually brought to us by our relative in common, Evan Beachy, mm-hmm. maybe back in 2008 or so. Mm-hmm. He came to me, I stopped over in California probably on my way to or from Shanghai. And um, he came to me and said, hey, I have this thing I need you to build. And he described it to me and I said, no, that's way too hard. That's way too hard. I can't do that. And then when Fred and I were at Data House, we actually ran into Evan at a meeting at Columbia Schools where he works now. And we were, we were pitching him this other product, this idea of like this kind of data wall pulling all the data from disparate systems together to give a student profile. And afterwards, he said, yeah, that, that was kind of cool, but I still really need you to build me the thing we talked about like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it a bit and I said, you know, what? I could actually probably build something like that pretty quick now. And so he built a prototype. And, and, and the, the problem he came to me with was... The, the original problem was that in today, today's world, today, the, the traditional education system is geared towards tracking things that are easily trackable, things that test well or, or you, know, you can write papers on and get graded, that kind of stuff. But it doesn't really track this, the more interesting, more interesting, the... Um, the skills that don't test well, stuff like creativity or um, collaboration. You Pati- can't take a test on that, really. Patience. Yeah, Kindness, exactly. compassion. Right. Yeah. Right. A lot of the, uh, things that I find to be really interesting and really important in today's world. Um, but those things do track well with stuff like a picture, if you can give evidence of a picture of creativity, something that you made or something that you, you did, or a video of collaboration, that, that can be a really good evidence for for that skill or, or for um, showing off how you can do something or not do something. So in today's world where mobile phones are everywhere and people have these in your hands, Evan wanted this app to help him kind of track those things and measure those things. And so that's kind of where this started from. Now, as Fred was saying earlier, we've seen so many different ways of how people are using Unruler right now. I can't, I can't say that that's the number one problem that we're solving Hmm. with any degree of confidence. Uh, We have, Fred's done an awesome job interviewing a bunch of, of our, our partners and how they're using Unruler and, and their use cases and their processes. And we've been trying to code or um, yeah, break down those interviews and see what they talked about, what they didn't talk about. And we came out of that with, uh, huh, we still don't really know what the core problem is that we're solving because everybody's using it so differently. So that's definitely the focus of what we're working on right now is, is how do we do we need to pull something up that that's a core that's our core problem we're solving or maybe it's a bigger picture core problem that we're solving that we haven't quite understood yet 
So it's a conversation that's been going back and forth between Fred and myself and from a lot of our partners for about two months now. And, hmm. you know, we're, we're just learning as we go. So it seems like this is this is the moment here for our listeners to know how Unruler works. So paint paint us as clear a picture as possible about how the tool actually works. Fred, do you want to you want to take that one on? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, at the at the core, and I think you you talked about it front, Uncle Josh. Um, at the core is the idea that um, you know a learner has an opportunity at any moment, um, whether they're at school, whether they're at home doing some non-school work, whether they're in an internship or a job, to make a realization that they they've just learn something that they want to share and, and, and keep and, and get credit for. And so the idea that they have a smartphone on their person and in many, many cases or an iPad nearby or a Chromebook that they're using, um, that's ready to, to take a picture or a video or document what they're doing and, and give them a chance to reflect on that. It's a relatively new thing, right, to, to have this kind of device ready to do that. And so the idea is if they have that, um, and they have an app that's that's about sort of capturing and, and sharing their their learning. They should be able to do that, um, and that's really what we do: is is make make it possible to capture learning at the moment that it's happening, um, to reflect on um, the learning in the face of um, goals or um, concepts or objectives or skills that the um, learner wants to focus on. Save that away in, in one place. Um, be able to share it with their coaches and their um, teammates and their peers um, for feedback, for inspiration, um, and then be able to, um, over time to build up and curate kind of like a portfolio that shows how they've progressed over time and how they've built their skills. And the idea is that that um, curation or portfolio could actually be used then when they're working with their next opportunity, whether it's uh, a new mentor that wants to get to know them and their capabilities, whether it's they're applying to the next school and that school wants to see what kind of learner is this person, do they, do they fit into our community mm-hmm. or they're looking for a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they sort of can show kind of like, a, rather than just a resume, they can actually show um, not only the, the work, they've, the best work they've done as a portfolio, but also the process they use to learn, which is actually, as an employer, is one of the most important things that we, we look for. Wow. So, Will, I'm, I'm struck by two things in this moment after listening to Fred describe how it works. One is that um, you and I both went through a schooling system where there were, there were these very discrete moments where we got tested, either a test or a grade on a paper or on a project, or something like that. But there were these gaps in between those moments. Um, so I'm struck by the idea that what Unruler is focusing on is continuous learning that can almost happen from minute to minute, and that you choose to record what's happening or document it or archive it um, or capture it um, according to what's happening in your life. And then the, the second part is, is it, is it, I guess it's a question is, is it necessary for Unruler to work? Is it necessary for somebody to see what it is that I'm documenting in my learning process? What do you think? Interesting. Yeah. So, so for the, the first part, definitely learning in my opinion happens all the time. And a lot of the most important learning is, is not captured in a test. Um, that's some tests may be better than others, but generally you're, you're regurgitating knowledge in some form, um, where a lot of the best learning happens, applying that knowledge into, uh, action and an actual real world situation. So that's definitely part of our goal is to help facilitate that kind of learning. Um, the second part, I, I don't know that it's necessary that someone else see the learning that's being captured. Um, but I think it definitely helps. I mean, myself personally, I'm always looking for feedback on what I'm working on. It's 
immensely helpful to have a second set of eyes on what I'm working on, on how I'm doing things. Uh, that's to me, that's how you, one of the easiest ways to get better is to have somebody help you get better by pointing out things you could do better. Mm. Um, so maybe not necessary, but I think I find it very valuable. Right. And it, and it seems like if I'm working on things, as you described a minute ago, when you're talking about coding, you know, building things, making things, designing things, um, the extent to which that process is enhanced by someone else reacting to it or observing it or critiquing it or, or evaluating or providing feedback, right? That's huge in the process. Definitely. Definitely. I think as, as you get better at, at, at these things, you can go further without needing that second set of eyes, but you're, you're always going to need it eventually. Um, and it's always going to be helpful, but the amount you can push it before you, before you need that second set is maybe changes. Right. Right. Got it. Cool. So Hey everybody stay with us after this short break, we'll come back with more questions for Will and Fred. This is Guy Kawasaki. If you want to learn how to be a remarkable person, please check out my podcast, Remarkable People. I interview people like Roy Yamaguchi, Margaret Atwood, Jane Goodall, Stephen Wolfram, Stephen Pinker, Ariana Huffington, and Steve Wozniak. The point of the podcast is to help you become a little bit more remarkable. To learn more, go to remarkablepeople.com. Thank you. Hawaii's business people and professionals want to support our public high school students across the state, like me, Law Yagovich, a senior at Kuku High School. And Hawaii's teachers and other educators want classroom speakers, curriculum advice, contest judges, mentors, and other support from businesses and nonprofits. The Climb High Bridge is Hawaii Department of Education's official platform to connect the two communities. It's like Match.com, specifically designed to connect businesses and schools. Learn more by sending an email to info at climbhigh.org. That's spelled C-L-I-M-B-H-I dot org. Hi, friends. Toy Hirschman here from the EntreEd Talk podcast. I am super excited to support the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast hosted by none other than the amazing Josh Rapoon. And I also want to give a big shout out to all of the incredible educators in Hawaii who are doing unreal things in the entrepreneurship and design-based thinking spaces. I hope you all subscribe and listen to What School Could Be in Hawaii. And also, hey, why not check out the EntreEd Talk podcast where we interview stellar entrepreneurial educators and entrepreneurs from across the country and globe. I cannot wait to connect with you. Farmers Insurance Hawaii and the Public Schools of Hawaii Foundation are excited to announce the winners of the Education Innovation Teacher Challenge. Tyler Gage of Chiefas Kamakahele Middle School and Wesley Atkins of James Campbell High School are this year's winners, each receiving a $25,000 grant to implement their innovative learning programs. We look forward to seeing their ideas come to life. Farmers Hawaii sends a big mahalo to all teachers for the work they do that extends far beyond the classroom walls. To learn more, visit FarmersHawaii.com slash Education Innovation. Hey everybody, my name is Josh Rapoon and this is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. Today we are with Fred Delcy and Will Rapoon, founders of Unruler, an app that captures learning. So Fred and Will, let's try a hypothetical here that might help listeners understand how Unruler might work in their learning spaces. So let's say hypothetically that I'm back teaching history, economics, and Hawaiian studies at La Pietra Hawaii School for Girls. Um, and let's also say I'm increasingly stepping aside and encouraging students to take ownership of their learning while I serve as a guide or a mentor on the side. Um, and in particular, I'm developing something I might be calling 20% time where students dig into curiosity questions over the course of a semester. So we have this moment where I meet you two um, and I invite you in to have a conversation about what's happening 
for me. How does how does Unruler work in situations like this? And I'll point out, I could be a chemistry teacher, I could be a biology teacher, I could be an art teacher, um, whatever the, the situation is, um, there is this moment where you arrive on the scene. So how does Unruler work in situations like this? Fred. Yeah, one thing we're finding as we're, we're talking to more of our um, our teachers is that they, they, all of them, I think the vast majority of them um, do work in a project-based way, or at least some, some part of their curriculum is project-based. And I think that um, to the extent, you know, so that's one, one key area. So to the extent that you have um, project-based learning in your curriculum, you know, one of the challenges that we see is, well, if, if students have project-based work and to the extent there's some agency in their work and they get to define or they have some space or creativity to decide what their project looks like, um, there's lots of opportunity for um, both the teacher and the peers to, um, you know, to give, to, to stay up to date on what exactly is going on with the, the student's project, the unique project, and to give, you know, feedback and also be inspired, inspired by what they are, what they're doing. So um, maybe there's that opportunity to, um, to learn or to get an idea that you didn't otherwise have by seeing some of your students, other students work. So as they do their project, they capture pieces of it, um, share it out, and that helps everybody stay up to date on the unique work that, um, that another student is doing. Um, so, so yeah. Will, for example, um, let's say that I have a student, and this is actually true, this actually happened. I have a student who, in that 20% time, got very interested in Michelangelo and in, in the fact that he's known as much for his sculpture as he was for his painting, um, and that she is now, in her 20% time, doing some really cool ceramics where she's trying to recreate some of the sculptures that Michelangelo did over the course of his life. So how does Unruler help her capture that process and what she's doing and what she's learning? Yeah, so as, as I'm sure you, you, you did in your class back then, um, Unruler helps you first kind of set up goals for your class. We call them COGS, actually, which is an awesome acronym thought up by our, our friend Mark Allard at Menlo School, which stands for Concepts, Outcomes, Goals, and Skills. Hmm. We call them COGS, like little pieces, right? Yep. So these are the things that are important to you in your teaching. They might be, um, so this is uh, Economics and Hawaiian History. Yeah. Hawaiian studies, um, economics, Hawaiian and, studies, economics, and, and yeah. Michelangelo. So mm -hmm. it might be, um, you know, creativity sounds like an important one. Um, structure design might be an important cog there, or maybe just general macro or microeconomics and how did he fund his work in the late 14th mm -hmm. century? Those might be important things. So you would set these goals up for your class as ways for them to kind of um, align what they're showing in their pictures and their videos with what you're teaching in class because they're out on their own. So your student, when she's doing her own ceramics, um, might tag that picture of her pot or her mug or her mm. really awesome mini David mm -hmm. with, uh, with, the, with, with the creativity call. And that would kind of bring her 20% time back to what's happening in class. Wow, Will. So, okay. There are all these, there's always these moments in these episodes where the top of my head comes off. So this is like, this is fantastic because what you're talking about here is instead of a, a constraining process, even where a teacher and a student might collaborate on a rubric, um, you're actually handing over the assignment of, of the cog to the student. In other words, the student is figuring out where does this particular thing fit and that's very different. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're, we're, one of the things we hear back regularly from our, um, our partners is how important it is for the students themselves to find out which cog goes with what they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. That kind of, you know, oh, hey, I just thought of this, you know, that, the kind of metacognition pun there. That fits really well, though. That kind of metacognition um, really helps a student understand own learning a little bit more. Hmm. 
I'm kind of struck by, by, for example, something like LinkedIn, which does have its constraints, but also gives you the freedom to sort of construct yourself, um, the cogs, if you will, like projects or, um, or, you know, things like that. Is it, is, does Unruler sort of work like that? Were you inspired, uh, Fred, by any of the other tools that are out there that, that capture who people are and what they do and what they know? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's a bunch of tools. LinkedIn is a good example of kind of like, a, a next generation resume and it does have the ability to upload, right? You can kind of say, this is my skill and, and here's some work that, that associates with that. And I think there's a bunch of tools that do that. I think the thing we saw that was missing was the vast majority of those tools uh, or most of those tools. Um, it's more like this is a portfolio in a sense of this is my final product. You know, mm. this is an, this is a piece of my work. Um, that's sort of finalized versus I'm showing you the process. Hmm. Um, that's the piece that we didn't see as much. Um, and so we wanted it to be super easy. And that's why we're a mobile first app, right? That it's really built for mobile. Mobile is the sort of main use case that we're thinking of. That it's super easy to capture what's going on in that in that moment. And then that's the purpose is to capture those those moments and string them together in a, in, in a process. Mm, wow. So Will, if I'm a college admissions officer, um, I'm imagining that it might take a fair bit of patience to switch my thinking and to be willing to follow a process rather than a series of, as Fred described, sort of discrete moments where something was quote unquote finished, right? A product of some sort. Yeah, I think so. I, I think there's definitely a, a different mindset or a shift that needs to happen. We have some interesting ideas on, on how we might make that efficient still. But I think at the root of what what we're trying to do right now is the idea that like, hey, like a resume or a, a LinkedIn, you can say you did something, maybe some people back it up. And that's great. On a resume, you write a line on there, you describe what you did briefly. Um, but with Unruler, when you say you can do something or you can't do something or, or in similar products, the bottom line is you have the actual underlying evidence to show not mm. only can or can or can you do something, but also how you went about doing that. Mm. The process that came behind, that was behind how you learned something or how you became good at something. Right. You know, I'm I'm struck both for both of you, Fred and Will, that you uh, graciously gave me your resumes in advance so that I could do some prep work prior to this interview. And both of your resumes read entirely chronologically, um, which is a very traditional way of approaching your resume. So let's take a second to flip that. Like, Fred, if you were going to rebuild your resume into um, something that wasn't chronological, but was more skills-based with evidence that's collected for that skill, like what would that, what would that look like? What would, what would your top skills be? Mm, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think, I think my top skills actually, um, you know, they relate the, if I think back at some of the, the jobs I've had that, that have sort of felt like they most kind of glued together for me, uh, it really involved the coordination of people um, in, in different roles. So I think that's, that's probably the, the, um, the skill I might point to is, is finding common ground with people who have the same ultimate goal, but they're, they're taking different perspectives on it and sort of you know, hearing the language, understanding the language, speaking the language of their world and kind of connecting it up with the language of those in, in other groups, all for the purpose of moving a project forward to success. Mm, that is so fascinating, Fred. Um, you know, there it sits at the top of your resume, right? Um, that's just amazing. Will, what about you? Yeah, actually, when you asked for my resume, I kind of laughed. Um, <laughs> so I was like, well, you know, I don't know the last time I updated it. Um, and uh, it's definitely... <laughs> it definitely does not align with what we've been working on for the past couple years. And, and now if I were to do it, like you said, I would do it totally differently. Um, if I were to reconstruct a resume, I think what I actually might put on top of mind would be a, like a, a trait maybe, which would be probably curiosity. Mm, um, right. 
because that really drives a lot of what I do and, and what I'm good at is finding something and really kind of digging into it and trying to learn more about it and figure things out and pull things apart. That's what really drives me and probably what I'm, I'm best at. Hmm. Wow, super interesting. So just briefly, um, for the both of you, Fred, what so far, given all the partnerships that you have with different schools, public-private charter here in Hawaii and even outside of Hawaii, what's one very specific example that you would cite of something that's being done with Unruler that you you just love? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I'm trying to I'm trying to pick pick from um, from all the ones we see. You know, I think I think the one that one of the ones that I'm most excited about, or it seems the coolest to me, um, is um, Dreamhouse. So um, Dreamhouse at Eva Beach is a relatively new charter school, um, and it's a middle school, and it's growing. So every year they've been adding. You know, so now I think they have um, two years. Next year they'll have three years. So it started in seventh grade, and then it was seventh and eighth, and then they're going to have a a ninth grade. So they're growing with their, with their class. But what's really cool is they actually put all of their grade, all of the students in one grade level. I think they have about a hundred. They put them in one group in Unruler. And then that group then shares um, a lot, a lot of their work. In fact, I think they might even turn the majority of their work in sort of through Unruler. And then it just becomes a very visible, um, community of like, hey, this is what we're working on. This is a reflection. And a lot of their work, it's really cool. A lot of their work has a very creative element to it. So students can express themselves in their work. And it just becomes this really positive, collaborative community. Mm. You know, and they focus a lot on leadership, student leadership. So it's an opportunity for them to reinforce those those aspects of their culture and, and their focus, right? So leadership and identity. Um, and to, to get to see those students interacting that way with their coaches on a day-to-day basis is really um, gratifying for me. Wow. Need to see. That's that's fantastic. And Will, what about you? One example that really jumps out. Um, top of mind right now is um, we've been working with Kala Hill, uh, Kala Hill High School on their CTE program, Career mm-hmm. Technical Education, I think. Right. Um, in particular, a couple of their a couple of their teachers, their natural resources teacher and their um, fashion design teacher, um, have been have been using it regularly to kind of, you know, those are both very like uh, uh, students are kind of going their own direction in both those classes. Um, they're either creating their own you know their own garments uh, that they look for, or they're um, growing their own plants, or they're out at internships at various farms and. Um, communities doing work. And so it really helps them bring that learning back to the group. Um, so here's what I'm learning out at um, Kokua Aina. And this is what I saw connected back to the school and, and what we've been talking about in school. Mm. And that to me is, is it can be really powerful. Mm. Wow, that's so exciting. Um, so as we, Fred and Will, come down to to the end here, and this has gone by like so fast, um, Unruler was selected as one of four new members of the World International Summit for Education cohort-wise uh, for 2020 and 2021. This is an accelerator cohort. Um, Fred, talk to us about how this happened and uh, what the experience has done for Unruler so far. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a really neat program. We um, we became familiar with it through one of our partners' friends um, at um, a group called Big Picture Learning. Yep. It's um, sort of a network. Um, uh, I think they have it's an international network of schools, and they're really really focused on some of the things we've been talking about, right? Like. Um, skills over just pure academics or at least in, in in parallel with them and one of the main things they talk about is leaving to learn which is the concept that a lot of the learning that's important happens outside of school and so it's sort of this network of schools that can can kind of take advantage of some of their um, materials and methodologies um, and we met a a guy in that organization who has a, um, a company that does um, internship management software system for schools. And um, he had been through the program. 
uh, and he, we became friends, and we have this sort of common um, philosophy. And he's like, "You guys gotta, you guys gotta apply for this. You know, this would be great for you. This is, this is what I got out of it." And so, um, we applied, and um, we were able to, um, to, to do it. Um, and it's basically, um, it's like pretty, pretty um, um, international group of folks. I think that it's run by um, the Qatari Foundation or Qatar Foundation. Um, in Doha, and they they basically bring together this cohort of companies from around the world that are doing interesting stuff in education. And I think it's I think it's it's mostly, if not all, ed tech. Um, and so we're just sort of invited into this community. We get to talk to folks who um, have been doing ed tech as their careers, and you know, and investors and um, school leaders and. Um, and for me, just getting to meet the other cohort members and sort of what they've been through and their challenges has been the most interesting part. Right, right. Super interesting. And and so, Will, um, as we as we come down to the end, I'm going to give you the last word here. And I, I just I want to frame this out. It's a kind of a meta question here. As I did all my research on Unruler and just really thinking it through really carefully, one of the things that really jumped out at me, Will, was that, you know, at this point in 2021, there's an astonishing number of technology tools out there. Um, everything from, you know, a little app that helps you quiz your multiplication tables to Unruler and everything in between. And what I started thinking about is the extent to which you and Fred and Unruler are leading the way towards student-driven learning and the extent to which you are following in the wake of school redesign efforts and you know kind of uh, you know scooping up the krill if you will uh, you know, where people are actually you know moving in that student driven learning direction and so what do you think about that like in in what ways are you leading and in what ways are you following behind and and building yourselves out in that way yeah, thanks. Great question. Um, and something we think about a lot and, and we reflect on a lot is that, and I know what it comes down to is, you know, we're, we're just here to enable educators. You know, we're, we're not inventing any of this stuff. We're trying to find, to learn from the people who, who want to push the boundaries, who want to change the way things are done and basically build a tool that helps them. You know, we're, we're not experts, Fred and I, and, and we're very, very aware of that. Um, so we, we just try to learn from all the educators we meet, um, take take the knowledge we get from them and try to turn it into something that's useful. So maybe maybe we're leading the way in, uh, on, or you know close to the edge on the technology side of things, but the lessons are all coming from education. You know, We're trying to build the tools that help people move things forward, um, but we're just we're just, you know, behind the scenes trying to um, follow the, the best and the brightest that are out there. Mm. That's that's awesome, Will. Like, you know, we've talked many times and you know that if there's one sort of thing that I believe in more than anything else, it's that, that innovation is coming from educators, from the grassroots. There are these individual educators and education leaders in these spaces are where the true source of innovation and creativity and imagination is, yep. and that what you're acknowledging is that you're there to enable that. Um, that's a very cool idea. Yeah, definitely. That's that's That's... We're just learning from the giants out there and, and they're they're out there in all the classrooms or in a lot of the classrooms out there. Yeah, that's great. Well, so Fred Delcy and Will Rapoon, this has been an awesome conversation. I, I thank you both. I wish you both good luck as you move on Ruler Forward. Um, and hopefully at some point, maybe in season three, we'll get a chance to do this again and find out what's happened uh, over the course of the months and years ahead. Thanks, Uncle Josh. Thanks for having us. For more on today's guests and Unruler, go to unruler.com. That's U-N-R-U-L-R.com. I am super pleased to note that 41 out of 41 listeners have given our podcast a five-star rating. We appreciate this very much, and thank you for the wonderful written reviews. 
If you love these episodes with remarkable and innovative educators and education leaders, please give us your own rating and write us a review at your favorite podcast store. The What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast is brought to you by Josh Rapoon Productions. Your host is me, Josh Rapoon. My editor, show consultant, and sound engineer is Daniel Galad at DG Sound Creations. Daniel, an amazing musician, created the original theme music heard in these episodes. To learn more about Daniel or to hire him for your next music gig, see our show notes where you will find his Facebook URL. This series is funded by education change agent Ted Dintersmith, executive producer of the documentary film Most Likely to Succeed, and author of the acclaimed bestseller What School Could Be. Send us your feedback to mltsinhawaii at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at mltsinhawaii. Finally, please like our Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii Facebook page and YouTube channel. Please stay safe, wear a mask, stay physically distant from one another, and get vaccinated when it is your turn. Most of all, please bring kindness and compassion into the world. The gods only know how much we need both right now. See you soon.